you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you don't have this verse memorized, Galatians 2, 20 through 21 is our founding verse for this series. I'm going to read it to you really quickly. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life is now the life I now live in the body, I live by, the son, by, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So here we are in this series being reminded that we're, we have a new life in Christ. Galatians, second, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we are new in Christ, that we are a new creation. In him, as we come to him, we are a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. So the beautiful thing about knowing Jesus is that we have a new life in him, that we don't have to live in this old pattern, in this old way of life. Essentially, this series is all about being able to live in that new place and keeping dead the old things of our life, which how many of you know that's kind of hard to do sometimes? It's kind of hard not to go back into the old patterns of life, but that's what Paul is warning against, that, hey, once upon a time you were in slavery, but you no longer are. Let's look at Galatians 4. It says this in in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery, under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son or a daughter. And if you're a son or a daughter, then God has made you an heir. Not an error. An heir. We can walk with our heads held high when we're an heir, right? We can walk with our heads held high, and we can walk in a new creation when we realize exactly what we're an heir to, that we are an heir to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which makes us what? Children of God, but not just children of God, but princes and princesses. And I don't know about you, but if you were a prince or a princess, you would walk around differently. And you can. I give you full permission because you are. Right? But the problem is what Paul's saying is stop turning back, Galatians. Stop turning back to slavery. In Galatians 4.9, he says this, but now since you know God, or rather have become known by God, God knows us, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you, not, do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? Man, but how much do we do that? It's so easy to go back to the old, yet and comfortable patterns of our lives, right? It's easy to go back into slavery. We see this temptation throughout the Bible, but especially with the Israelites. The Israelites are in captivity for 300 years in Egypt, and they got comfortable in slavery. They got comfortable being used to create Egypt. They got comfortable because they were still fed, they still had a place to live, but they were still in slavery. They weren't their own free people. And the reality is that when Moses took them out of Egypt, they kept whining and wanted to go back because at least they had better food. They didn't want to go into this new creation, this promised land, because they forgot. They didn't realize what they were going to receive, right, in the promised land. They just had to go through some trials. And so through those trials, they were really tempted and said, can't we, we could just go back to Egypt. It's okay, we were enslaved there, but how comfortable is it sometimes to go back to slavery? How comfortable is it for us to go back to the old patterns of our lives? 
But here's the thing, as children of God, we are called out of the old and into the new, right? And we aren't called to death. Death was defeated on the cross. And what Paul is saying here in Galatians is that, don't you remember, like you already got resurrected from the dead. I already pulled you out of that. I pulled you into a new creation. We're called into life, but not just called into life, not just called to life, but called to be life. And that's what I wanna talk about today. Today I wanna dig into this idea that the reason that we are a new creation isn't just for our sake, it's for those around us, that they might see Jesus in and through us. But here's what I'm wondering is, how often do people see Jesus in and through you or do they see your old life coming back up again? How many of us are stuck you keep going back into the old patterns, yet we have this new life that's, that's meant for us to live, but also for others to find life, and yet we keep going back. We, when we run back to our old comforts and our BC ways, our before Christ ways, we go back to reproducing death in ourselves and in others. When we embrace the gift of God, however, and his grace through Jesus, and choose to be imitators of Christ, we produce life in ourselves and others. Ephesians 4.20 says this, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Ephesians reminds us that we have to put on our new selves. It's a daily decision to walk in the new way that God has created you to be. It's for some of us a very momentary decision to walk in the new way that God has created for us. But Ephesians 5.15 reminds us that we have to just not just put on our new self, but we need to pay careful attention to how we live. So as we dig in today, the title of my message is, You Have to Let It Linger. Anybody know where that's from? Sing it. Cranberries. Okay. (laughs) You have to let it linger. That's not what the song is talking about, by the way. And also, you could go a lot of ways with this. I'll tell you what we're talking about, okay? So (laughs) back in uh, September, I was sitting at Garner Village, and I had walked around, had a few hours to myself, hallelujah. Uh, (laughs) So I was walking around Garner Village doing a little shopping, which, you know, isn't very inspiring when you have a mask on your face. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just actually sit down, take a deep breath, pull off my mask, and read a a book. And so I start reading a book, and people are walking by, um, six feet, of course, but they're walking by, you know, and and all of a sudden I smell like you ever smell somebody who has a little, maybe too much perfume or cologne on? Well, they, they came and left, and I still smell the, the smell. And I'm a smells person, so that's fine. I like smells. But it, in that moment, God dropped this thing in my heart, and he said, what lingers when you leave? I was like, oh, <laughs> not a lot of good things, maybe. <laughs> Let me think through that. So it really challenged me to, to ask that question, what lingers when I leave, but Beyond that, what is heard when I am in the room? What is tasted, what is felt, and what is seen? When I'm in the room or when I leave the room? And it challenged me, challenged me to pay attention to how I'm living my life. So I want to take a few minutes to go through five points, the five senses. 
and how our life is to be an exhibit, a, exhibition of the five senses to the people around us. You guys ready? Okay, my first point is this. We are to represent Jesus tangibly. So this is touch. We are to touch people with Jesus and his love. We are to tangibly represent him. So as we go through the Bible, we can find this in the Bible. We find it in Luke 10, verse 25 through 38. It says this, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. So that was the man answering, and that was Jesus telling him, good job, okay? But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Because like just the basic of loving people is just too hard for this guy to grab at the moment. He's like, well, tell me who those people are. Who do I really have to love, right? (laughs) Do we ever ask that question? Do I really have to love this person? Just don't want to. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened by, happened to be going by down that road, and he crossed over. He saw him, and he crossed over. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one, the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, obviously the good Samaritan, right? Go and do the same, Jesus says. So that's our call to be tangible representations of Jesus, to go and do the same. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. And here at the well, I don't know if you've noticed yet, we have green bands and we have white bands. Green bands are for if you mind being hugged. We're now asking your permission if we can hug you before we did not. But B, B, BC, like before COVID, we, we didn't ask permission. We would just hug you. We're huggers here at the well. And it's not an accident. It's not just because we love, you know, hugging people, right? Like, but we're tangibly representing Jesus. Sometimes we need to feel the embrace of someone else to remember how good Jesus is, right? And so we're huggers. And this, I want you to hear that we're not the only ones who think hugs are necessary. Virginia Satter, a world-renowned family therapist, is famous for saying we need four hugs a day for survival. Survival, just to live. We need eight hugs a day just for maintenance. Okay, so we're not even into self-care yet. Okay, we're just at maintenance level. <laughs> and then we need 12 hugs a day for growth. I'm like starting to think about my kids. Like, am I hugging them enough? Like, I need to give them that many hugs. I need that many hugs. And this whole article goes on to say to how to get more hugs. But, you know, we won't get into that. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Christ followers get involved physically in the lives of people. 
We lift those who've fallen, we feed the hungry, we care for the widows and the orphans, we meet needs through generosity of our finance. We get involved physically in the lives of people. There's no end to what we can do with that. There's no end to how we can love our neighbors and, our, and the people around us. So just get ready to give out your toilet paper, okay? It's a physical, tangible way to get involved in the lives of the people around you. But the reality is we're called to be physical representations of Jesus. These next two points are a little bit similar and parallel. They're out of the same passage of Scripture. But the second point is this, that we are to be the flavor of heaven, and you might be like, well, how, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, let me tell you. Matthew 5.13 in the message says this. You're the salt of the earth. That's what we're to be, salt. We're to be salt. If the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Mark 9.50 says salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, this is the warning If the people of God lose its flavor, how can you season the earth? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Here's the thing. There are two distinct communities in our current world. There are those who do not know Jesus and there are those who do. And as people of God, we are meant to be salt to the earth. We are meant to to taste a certain way. Salty can be too much but not enough salt, you blend right in. And the reality is that we're to be distinctly different from our community, from the world around us. Listen to this, out of multiple commentaries it says this, the influence of Christians in and on society depends on their being distinct, not identical. (laughs) We've got a lot of identical twins running around. Dr. Lloyd-Jones emphasizes this, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. When you're different, you actually attract. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. Otherwise, if we Christians are indistinguishable from non-Christians, we are useless. We might as well be discarded like salty like saltless salt thrown out and trodden under the feet of men. But what a downcome, comments A.B. Bruce, from being saviors of a society to supplying materials for its footpath. What is he saying? He's saying that, the, that you can change a world, but when you look the same as the world, you're not changing a world. You can bring the savior into the world. Right? We are the avenue of people finding and knowing Jesus. He is choosing to use us crazy people to let others know about him. So we're called to be salt. Listen to this story. At a meeting, some young people were discussing the text, ye are the salt of the earth. Clearly, they're in the King James Version. One suggestion after another was made as to the meaning of salt in this verse. Well, salt imparts a desirable flavor, said one. Good point. Salt preserves from decay, another suggested. Then a Christian girl spoke out of an experience none of us of the others had. She said, salt creates thirst, she said. And there was a sudden hush in the room. Everyone was thinking, have I ever made anyone thirsty for Jesus? 
In being salt to the earth, we are called to be distinctly different. Salt is a preservative in that it stops decay. You know, we're all sitting around going, gosh, our world is crumbling around us. What is happening? Our world is just broken. And do you know that God already brought the answer? He already made a new creation in his people that they would walk in him and in his holiness and his righteousness and his light and produce a kind of thing that stops decay. That through the saltiness of us living out our life for Jesus, that we can stop the decay of the world around us. J.R. Stott says this, final, as a final thought, one can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question is, where is the salt? So we can't blame our world for going bad when the salt is not there to distinguish the difference between death and life and ultimately draw people to Jesus. That was point two. Point three, we're a light to be seen Matthew 5, 14 through 16 in the message says this. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Being salt and light clarifies here. The clarity here is that salt and light is found in our works. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, good works. We're about to talk about works. We are about to talk about works a little bit. It's found in our works, in what we do for others. Right? We talked about being tangible representation of Jesus. That means we have to do something. You can't sit there and do nothing and be a representation of literally anything. Right? <laughs> we got to do something. Good works isn't always about being seen, though. That's not, it's not about you being glorified in your good works. See, that's the religious thing we've heard many times over, right? Who are we really glorifying in our good works? Well, we're working and working and working to try to obtain what? A salvation that's already been freely given to us? It's a done deal. We don't need to do that. Rather, we do things for others out of a place of knowing who, what God did for us and ultimately allowing them to respond to the gospel because we're blessing them with our lives, because we're shining light on dark places in their life. As a light to the world, we are to shine in shining everything we do and say. Everything we do and say should be a flashlight pointing to Jesus. Everything we do and say. So you could probably just think through a few things just in the last 24 hours that you could change. <laughs> I know I can, right? J.R. Stott says this, good works are works of love as well as of faith. They express not only our loyalty to God, but our care for our fellows as well. Indeed, the primary meaning of works must be practical, visible deeds of compassion, right? Our works aren't based out of what we're going to get from them. They're based out of compassion, It is when people see this, Jesus said, that they will glorify God, for they embody the good news of his love, which we proclaim. Without them, our gospel loses its credibility and our God his honor. Matthew 5 just reminds us that God is not a secret to be kept. Bonhoeffer is known to say, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. 
A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Are we seeking Jesus and are we seeking loving people or are we hiding away? Are we isolating back to last week's message or are we choosing to walk in the new creation that is Jesus? So we're not meant to be hidden or we're not meant to hide away, right? You've been saved and light shines through you because you know him. That's the creation we get to walk in. Back to Ephesians, we get to choose to put on this new self. When we choose to put on this new self, we're choosing to be light bearers. We're choosing to exhibit faith. And we're choosing to show people the love of Jesus. Point four, we are to speak life for all to hear. Okay, this is a little rabbit trail. But not really because I planned it. So (laughs) I want us to hear two things. We're going to talk about other people and what we say. But I want to know... I want to encourage you all to stop resurrecting what is already dead inside of your life. Stop resurrecting what God has already done in your life. Meaning, what are you speaking over your life? You cannot keep dead what you keep speaking over yourself. You cannot keep dead what you keep speaking over your marriage. You can't keep dead what you're speaking over your physical body. See, Jesus came and he gave us life and eternal life in and through him, which means we no longer have to prophesy over ourselves this identity that is diminished, this identity that is death, this identity that is darkness. The reality is, is that many of us are still stuck in our ways and going back to the old ways because we keep speaking poison over our own lives. So we keep holding on to falsities that God conquered in our lives, that you're an addict. Jesus overcame your addiction. You don't have to keep walking in that. He overcame it. Your marriage doesn't have to crumble. You both need to be speaking some life into it. You need to stop focusing on just the negative aspects and the things you can't get past and maybe something that's been done to you. And you need to say, I'm going to speak life into this situation. I'm choosing a different way. I'm going to fight my battles with the word of God. I'm going to fight my battles with truth. I'm going to fight my battles with positivity. Rather than negativity. So I just want to encourage you all to stop resurrecting what's already been put to death. Amen? Amen. All right. The second part is to speak life to those who hear you. So what does this look like? Do, Do you speak with the tongue of one who intimately loves and knows God? Or do you leave a bad taste in people's mouths, making them wonder about this God you know because he doesn't seem to have changed you? We like to, it's hard. We run around working with people, doing life with people, and we're busy speaking poison over our lives and over our world right now, and I understand because it's hard not to get negative. It's hard not to get frustrated and angry, but is what I'm saying actually leaving people in a place where they're like, they know something different. They know somebody that's changed their life. They have been changed. They have put on a new creation and they are walking in that and that is what I need. 
our youth pastor, it used to drive me crazy, but he was, <laughs> not Paul Andrews, that's not my youth pastor, that was Jason's, but um, back when we were kids, he would always say, well, he would have us wear our uh, Jesus t-shirts to school, and then he'd say, bring your Bible, and then he'd just pray over us. You know, I just pray that when you walk through the halls that people just fall down at, not at my feet, but at, at your feet wondering how you're different. And he would say that every week, and every week I'd go and try to, like, figure out how to see that happen. (laughs) And I would just be like, this is frustrating, right? But the reality is his point was what? His point was that when people see me, they should see something different. They shouldn't see a blend that's lost its saltiness, right? The church shouldn't be something that's just trampled and trodden underfoot. The church should be salty. The church should be light. The church should be speaking life into people's lives. And the church should look and appear and sound different. Like somebody who's been changed by the gospel. Like somebody who's found hope in a a savior. That's what the church should be. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who live it will eat its fruit. James 3, 9 through 12 says, with the tongue we are blessed. We bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. What? But is that not true sometimes? We bless God. We sit here and we sing these songs and we pray and we worship God and we exalt his name. And yet we curse the very people we're called to love. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree produce olives? No. My brothers and sisters, or, or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. James and Proverbs are both reminding us that what we speak with our mouth or our, do with our fingers what I'm referring to, behind a computer screen, same thing, speaking. What we speak is meant to build up. It is as powerful as life or death. Proverbs 11.11 says, a city built up by the blessing of the upright, a city is built up by the blessing of the upright, but is torn down by the mouth of the wicked. So your words can build or they can tear down. It can also heal or break, Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Are you getting this? What are you speaking? What are you saying? What are people hearing? The last point is this. We are to let love linger. This is smell. All right, so when I was a teenager, I, okay, I love smells now, like love them, but not fried chicken or fried pork or bacon. <laughs> you know, certain smells, they linger a little longer on your attire. So when I was a teenager, I would, my parents would be cooking, and if I was leaving, I locked myself in my room until it was time to leave <laughs> because I could not smell like fried pork. And I did, you know? And I worked, at one point, I worked at Subway, and we would bake the uh, bread, and I would go home, take a shower, and smell like bread. Or Starbucks. And maybe some of you like, maybe would like this, but 
I don't prefer coffee as a perfume. However, <laughs> I would go home from Starbucks after eight hours of working, and my hair would smell like I just brewed a pot of coffee. That is not the kind of lingering we want to leave, right? We want to leave a kind of lingering that is love, a kind of lingering that is life. Now, there's other smells that we all love, right? Like, I love the smell of fresh-made pumpkin loaf. Again, I wouldn't use it as a perfume, but I like it in my house. I love candles. My favorite thing right now, I feel a little like a hoarder with candles, but love candles. I love creating an environment. And that's the thing. Atmospheres are built up or torn down with scent, right? If you walked in here and it smelled like a sewage system, would you stay? I would probably go too, right? (laughs) See, they're inviting or they're a deterrent. We're to carry a certain scent. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16 says this. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Who is adequate for these things? See, this verse is about our sacrifice, the sacrifice of our lives to Jesus. When you go back into the Old Testament, you see the fragrant offering constantly as a part of the sacrifice. It was a pleasing aroma to God, it would say many times in the Old Testament. And here it's speaking of that same thing. Is our life a pleasing aroma, a sacrifice to our Savior? Is it a pleasing aroma? Does it smell like something he'd be pleased with? See, some won't be ready to smell. Some won't be ready to receive. But they gotta know where to go when they're ready. And if you smell the same as them, if you look the same and you act the same and you speak the same as the people in our world who are looking for hope and change, they're not gonna know where to go when they need it. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, we're to be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. See, the problem with many of us is that we are still walking around in our burial clothes. We're walking around in those moments right before we said yes to Jesus. We're walking around with this stench of old the clothes from our slavery that are caked with decrepit pieces of us. This is, this is what we're walking around in and, and we've already been promised a new life with Christ. Remember, we're no longer dead to our sin. We're no longer enslaved in bondage. Rather, we are a son and a daughter and an heir Galatians 3, 27 reminds us that we have new clothing in Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. So an heir doesn't walk around in burial clothes, right? When you think of that, you think of the finest linen. You think of the best smelling, the freshest scent, all of this stuff that should radiate off of us when we're walking around in this new creation that Christ created for us. See, if we're called the aroma of Christ, if we're called to be image bearers, if new creations, then the linger should only be life-giving because we're in life now. 
We're no longer in death. So the only linger that should come off of us is life, love, encouragement, positivity, wrapped all in the clothes of Jesus. So I just believe that it's time to permanently keep dead the old and pick up the new life that we have in Christ. One that touches, flavors, brings vision to, speaks life to, and smells of Jesus. Amen.